The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 164. Oi! Don't be scared. All of this is new to you and new can be scary. When people need help, I never refuse. There's this moment when you're sure you're about to die, and then you're born. I know exactly who I am. I'm the Doctor. Should be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the latest episode of this current season featuring the 13th Doctor, titled Can You Hear Me? Can you hear me now? Uh, joining me today in the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. Can you hear me? Uh, I don't know. I'm up in Montana. Our cell coverage isn't so good here. I think the Verizon guy got lost up here. How's it going? <laughs> good, good. And Jimmy Aiken, how, how are you doing today, Jimmy? I'm doing okay. And yes, I am old enough to remember those Verizon commercials. Can you hear me now? But I don't know if all of our listeners will. I know. Well, they probably know the guy from now the Sprint ads, which you, which yep. is uh, where he does that. So, uh, folks, mm-hmm. if you're listening to this show in streaming or someone sent you a file, be sure to subscribe uh, to the to the podcast. You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all the places you can subscribe to podcasts, and including our SQPN YouTube channel, where you should make sure to hit the bell to get notifications. I know the season is rapidly coming to uh, to an end, but we're continuing on. We we do episodes every week of the Secrets of Doctor Who. Uh, where we look, go back and look at Classic Who, the 2005 reboot series. We'll talk about big Finnish audio productions. So we are all Who all the time on this podcast. So keep listening, uh, even once the season is over. And we're rapidly approaching the end of the season, guys. Uh, yeah, this, three, we, three episodes after this. Yeah, th- it's it's uh, pretty amazing how quickly that has gone. So let's talk about this episode, this latest episode we just watched, called... Uh, can you hear me? And I want to start sort of at the end a little bit uh, where um, uh, I want to ask about something that is related to classic who, and that is we have encountered some eternals. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and to have a mention of the guardians. Yep, uh, right. Now these are not the Marvel <laughs> characters, no. right? We're not in the Marvel cinematic universe. Who are the eternals first? So the one of the villains in this episode describes himself as an immortal and says immortals have to play their games to pass the time. And um, he mentions then two definite and a third apparent immortal. The first group is the Eternals, and they are mm-hmm. beings that even though they can take human form and personify, uh, they are eternal beings that exist outside, have existed for all eternity past. They're not God, but they they are much older than this universe. And they appear in the episode first, in the episode Enlightenment in the fifth mm-hmm. Doctor's time. And at that time, when we meet them, some of the Eternals are having like an outer space yacht race using historical Mm. ships from different periods in Earth's history that they've Mm. retrofitted to fly in outer space. And the crews don't even know they're not on ordinary ships. They think they've got these like sailors from the 1900s and they think they're sailing in the 1900s. Um, But it's all for the amusement of the Eternals, who are kind of upper crusty and snobbish towards Mm -hmm. us mere ephemerals. the Guardians we've met on screen, there's more in the spinoff media, but on screen we've met two of them, the Black Guardian and the White Guardian, and they were introduced in the fourth Doctor's time, so the F- Eternals were in the fifth Doctor, the fourth Doctor's time they were introduced, the Black and White Guardians in the Key to Time series with Tom Baker's fourth Doctor, where the White Guardian commissioned Tom Baker and new companion Romana to go across the universe on a big MacGuffin hunt and find the six segments to the key to time, which occurred over the course of a series. Um, Then the villain also, he he says that this universe makes such a great game board, the toy maker would approve. And that is a reference all the way back 
to the first doctor's time when the first doctor encountered a being in an eponymously titled episode, the celestial toy maker, who was this very powerful being interested in playing games. And all that episode, that story almost had the doctor's first regeneration because um, the uh, the the toy maker at one point disappears the doctor and one of the ideas was when he reappears he's going to have a different face mm. but they didn't end up doing it that episode that story um the celestial toy maker was almost brought back because it was has been very popular um mm. and was almost brought back in the seventh doctor's or the sixth doctor's time uh, in Colin Baker's era, but it the season got canceled that he would have appeared in. And there's a little bit of controversy these days due to wokeness about the Celestial Toymaker because Celestial is um, uh, is a term that historically has been used not to just refer to things that are heavenly but specifically to the celestial kingdom, i.e. China. And no. so the celestial toy maker is, uh, is portrayed as the Chinese toy maker. Right. And this wasn't as obvious in the black and white days, but the clues are clearly there. This guy is meant to have Chinese ethnicity. And that has distressed some moderns because reasons uh, you can't have a really powerful preternatural figure who's Chinese, apparently. Um, and so I don't know about that, but I noticed they dropped Celestial here right. and just referred to him as the toy maker. Um, also, uh, in spinoff media, the Celestial toy maker has been portrayed as a member of the of the Time Lord race. And he, according to a lot of a lot of extended uh, canon stuff, is portrayed as one of a group of Time Lords that later went renegade that all knew each other on Gallifrey, including the Doctor, the Master, the Rani, the Meddling Monk and the Celestial Toymaker, among others. Okay, okay. Although other media have portrayed him as being from another universe and that sort yeah. of stuff, too. Okay. Yep. All right. So that I think I, I wanted to address that up front because it's some uh, fans having seen this latest episode are theorizing that they that the appearance of the Eternals and the Guardians uh, or at least mention of them and these immortals mm -hmm. has something to do with the Timeless Child. And the origin of the mm. the Time Lords that I there's doubt some it, but there's some connection, right? Right. <laughs> see, I, I, I figured I figured this was setting up for next season because, mm -hmm. of course, as we see at the end, the Eternals don't go away; they're there, right. ready to go for next season. Right. Right. They 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 are eternal, so they're <laughs> the the uh, enemies that hang around. Uh, okay. Well, let's let's get into this episode, and we'll bring up uh, the this. Fact of the Eternals and the Guardians and, and whatnot, uh, and where it's appropriate in this episode, then uh, and, keep, and revisit that. Uh, over, uh, I will, I will reserve my judgment on an overall how, what I thought about it. Although I'm, I will say right up front because it'll come out as I talk about it. I'm generally positive about this episode, although it has mm -hmm. some flaws, some yeah, structural flaws. Yeah, it's, uh, it's got flaws, but this is this is more classic who of you've got the monster of the week to conquer and yes. they're running around and it's action and it's spooky. Travel through time this and is, space. Travel yes. time and space. This is this is about as classic Doctor Who as you can get. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I had in my notes time, space time horror story. Yes. Um, yeah. Which is basically what it is. And I haven't actually seen the Hellraiser movies, but my impression is that the Hellraiser movies involve similar stuff with different times, different place, different places in space and horror, obviously. Yeah. And when when the the villain, um, whatever his name was, shows up, um, I'm thinking, oh, he's like the guy from Hellraiser, only with tattoos instead of the spikes on his head. See, I thought I was going to call this Nightmare on High Street. And there you <sighs> go. And yeah, I thought, he, you know, he was like Freddy Krueger. Except instead of having, you know, metallic claws, he's got fingers that detach. So. Oh, there you go. <laughs> but yeah, so it's a, it's a bit of a, yeah, a horror movie uh, type of uh, a horror episode, should we say, or that sort of thing. All right, let's let's get into the episode. We start in 
Aleppo, Syria in 1380. Yay! Love seeing Aleppo. Yeah, and it's fun to get to a different time period. And uh, we have this uh, female thief, this woman who steals for her mental well-being, we're told. Um, Although... (laughs) And the TARDIS... TARDIS does not translate a word in the dialogue for us. She's just been stealing in the souk. Yes. And and I, not all English speakers are going to know that souk is the Arabic word for market. Right. Yep. Or like a, the bazaar. Yeah, the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were, I felt it was a bit anachronistic, although we get a little bit of uh, exposition later. But like, oh, you, you said uh, I'm here for my mental uh, well-being or it's good for my mental well-being. And I thought. That's an odd, like, that is such an anachronistic That's word choice not, for someone from 1380. Not not a phrase they would use in 1380. Now, maybe they had the idea, the concept, but yeah. they wouldn't have used that phrase. Yeah. That's a modern it, phrase. They don't, esta- and this is a criticism I have of the episode in general, they don't establish, they don't do enough to establish who is, who we're watching. Right. And what's going on? They right. um, so really, what's happened? This thief has come to a hospital that is uh, that has a, a mental health wing, and the doctor later explains that Muslim doctors were had a remarkably for the time enlightened attitude towards mental health patients, mm-hmm. which is true. Right. They would have like mental health wards, um, and so. I liked in this scene where the thief is talking about a monsters that everybody else believes are imaginary. Um, the physician, the lady physician or nurse or whatever she is. See, there's more. We don't have enough of a handle on this character. Right. Um, right. Says, I understand they seem real to you. And I liked the fact that this is in the Middle Ages and we have someone who's capable of being skeptical about unseen paranormal creatures um, right. because just I like seeing that in this story because the classic thing to do is everybody in the past was so benighted that they would believe anything about right. paranormal creatures and never think critically about them and never attribute it to someone's imagination. So I like seeing someone yeah. who's capable of recognizing, you mean, okay, you've got some mental issues and these are not real. Of course, they actually are in this case, but <laughs> still, you, you mean, I like you that. Mean there, were, there weren't roving bands of priests, at least in Christian countries, roving bands of priests doing exorcisms everywhere? A.K.A. No, the witch finder. Weren't. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so we, we we go from her warning to now it's night in this uh, this hospital in Aleppo. Yeah. And by, by the way, yeah. you, I'm we we're not sufficiently woke in this episode, because <laughs> even though we portray a Muslim community here in Aleppo, there was yeah. a major Jewish community here, too, and also a Christian community. And we need proper yeah. representation. <laughs> that's yeah. right, that's right. <laughs> Aleppo is not just a, a Muslim city in the past or the present. So, uh, uh, so we go to this nighttime, and th- this the the woman. Her name is uh, Tahira. Uh, again, mm-hmm. Once again, had a lot of trouble figuring out what name what the names were they were saying on screen. I had to go to online to find out what the names were, but I, I called her the Aleppo woman. But Tahira is awake, and and she encounters this woman, Miriam, who that in the, in the uh, in this hospital, and the the creatures come, and I really like this, like the way they did this, where the woman Miriam is standing there, and Tahira is looking past her at whatever it is, and this giant claw reaches out and just, as Miriam just sort of stands there, grabs her face, and she's just like staring, and Tahira says, don't, what did she say? Don't struggle. They like it more when you struggle. And that's what, I mean, call talk about creepy. That was really wild creepy. Uh, mm-hmm. so I thought that was well done. Um, and then we go, and then of course, you know, all heck breaks loose. And then we go to the, the opening credits and we come back. We're in Sheffield today, you know, the present day. And, uh, the doctors brought everyone home for a, a day long visit. And, uh, as we've seen in, in the past, the doctor without companions gets bored and easily, um, she, yeah. And she's also lying to the companions to get them off the TARDIS. Yeah. She's lying about what she's going to do. Apparently, she doesn't have clear plans, and she's just wanting them to connect, connect with their lives even though on Earth, even though she's going to be at loose ends. But she's actu- actively lying to them. Yep. And that's something I can't... I, 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 previous doctors have not done. Mm. 
in the same right. way with companions. They haven't just, oh, I'm going to, I've got all these plans. I'm going to, yeah, go and uh, have your yes. yeah, anniversary no, I mean, meal. Matt Smith. I mean, we, we haven't yeah. quite had the, other than with uh, like Rory and Amy, where they would go and right. have their own life and come back. Um, we Every time your companion would leave, it's like, oh, no, no, go ahead. I'll, I'll be fine without you. I, I don't need you. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. You know, and of course, same thing. You know, the yeah. doctor doesn't want them to leave. Well, I'm thinking maybe more of classic doctors, but okay, yeah, definitely yeah. in classic who this you don't see this. Can't and, I mean, imagine was, Peter Davison doing that, right? And I mean that that was as I said before, that was my complaint with Rory and Amy and with Clara, where there were constant, there was back and forth on and off the TARDIS, on and off the TARDIS, on and off the TARDIS. You know, and the, and the Doctor was much felt much more dependent on having companions around than he did in classic who. Correct. Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, so she's so afraid of being bored without them that she's going to leap to to the next day right away and uh, so that she doesn't have to in, as have you do time, as you yeah. do which i suppose you know and uh, she could have just been honest and say oh yeah you guys have a great day for me it'll be 30 seconds <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but when she touches the controls this guy materializes out of smoke briefly and uh an alarm goes off in the in the TARDIS changes colors and then she's fine something in Aleppo has happened and so she's going to go there alone uh, without the crew. Well, it's interesting too. I think she was on the other side of the, the console, so she didn't even see him appear. Right, right. right. That's important. Yes, but he, he's clearly very very powerful because very few things can get inside the TARDIS. That's right. So uh, we we follow the the companions. Uh, we first Ryan goes to see his mate who we've seen before in the in this. First episode of the season. Uh, this is another not enough character establishment because, yep. yes, technically we have seen this guy briefly for about 15 seconds in one scene yep. of the first five episode. episodes ago. <laughs> right. Um, but they they need some dialogue or something to establish that this is Ryan's friend as right. opposed to a relative. Is he a cousin? Is he a brother? Is you know? Yeah, who exactly is this? Yep. And his I mean, he name can't is... be Ryan's father because no. he's not old enough. But that's the only thing I could deduce about him. Right. It took a bit to figure out who he was, but his name's Tebow, and he's acting all strange and paranoid. And that's about all we get right, right off the bat. Uh, yeah, he's he's acting strange and paranoid with good reason because there's been right. a guy who's invaded his dreams, who he then sees all around the neighborhood. Right. But that, and that doesn't get a step. Right. Yeah, that sets up a problem that is going to be there at the end of the episode. Right. Um, but but my uh, a little bit of criticism is is to go along with what you were saying is, is they don't really tell us that until later. We just get he's acting strange. And then we, we yeah. go off and we go to Yaz, who's now with her sister. Parents aren't around. They We didn't want to pay the actors the actress to yeah. be in this episode and they're celebrating some sort of anniversary that is an uncomfortable anniversary so we don't get much there uh then we have graham uh who's with his friends playing cards um mm -hmm. and uh he for, says for match for matches for matches yep. right, right. The not for money. they're playing for matches uh apparently he's told them he's gone going on cruises that's where mm -hmm. he's been one thing I like with Yaz is she she's talking with her sister and she says she doesn't want to be stuck in stuck in the past. And then, of course, the next scene is a TARDIS materializing in Aleppo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's nice. Nice cut on concept. Right. In fact, and in fact, uh, Graham tells his friends uh, traveling stops me from being stuck in the getting stuck in the oh, past. It was Graham, with grace. It was Graham that said it. Yeah. 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 Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was about but, grace. Yeah. But but then as they're as they're playing cards, Graham has a vision of Storm from the X-Men who's been, apparently been <laughs> trapped somewhere yeah, exactly. and wants to be let out. And this is where we get the line. Can you hear me? The, that's the title of yep. the episode. Uh, so the doctor shows up in Aleppo. The place is wrecked. Uh, the doctor is now at first I thought, oh, are we just getting like straight up? fourth wall breaking exposition from the doctor telling the audience how enlightened Islamic doctors were about mental health and, and whatnot. Well, they do kind of fix that a bit by saying, Oh, here I am talking to myself. And there's no one, there's no one to give all these awesome facts to no companions around, which is when she has forgotten, she doesn't have the companions with her. So right. she's yep. just been expositing like she normally would, which is a nice little, as you say, Jimmy, hang a lantern on this. The fact that the doctor's constantly, Telling the audience through the companions all this exactly. background material, which is which is yeah. kind of funny. Um, 
So she then she then finds the thief of Baghdad. I mean, the thief of Aleppo, <laughs> who, um, who, yes. who is the only person to survive a, an attack by the creatures. And in fact, there's one left and she points it out to the doctor and the doctor turns around and looks up to see a ceiling hugging, ceiling hugging monkey bear. Yeah. And uh, later they give a name for the ceiling hugging monkey bears, but they really don't need to. Right. Because as it's going to turn out, these are not an established actual species. So they're just these chimerical characters. Right. In fact, the Sonic doesn't see it. Um, So we have. Right, like you mentioned, uh, we go back to Graham, who's got this vision. We have Ryan's friend who's been having nightmares, who's seeing the guy from his nightmares in real life. And then Yaz and her sister again having uh, in the, their anniversary dinner. Then they watch a movie. Yaz falls asleep and has a nightmare where she's standing on a road in the country somewhere. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't know what that's about. But then she wakes up to find the same creepy guy from to- uh, Tebow's nightmares. Standing in her kitchen, staring at her, which is, you know, that's kind of creepy. I'd say that's creepy. Mm-hmm. That'd be pretty creepy. Um, it's also creepy whenever the person, whenever you wake up and you see someone standing there and then they vanish in black smoke. That's pretty yeah. creepy. Yeah. yeah. I'd say that. <laughs> yep. Uh, so, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> creepy guy shows up at Ryan's friend's house, uh, detaches his fingers, as I mentioned, and sticks them in Tebow's hey. ears. And and we should explain how that happens. He just hold and he loves doing this because it happens. I don't know how many times in this episode. In <laughs> they fact, love it this effect. To get a little little old. Yeah. Um, they're, he, they're he obviously CGI. Up. The CGI crew really enjoyed that particular effect. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He he holds up his hand and then his fingers start to rise off of his hand and his thumb. Just cleanly. There's no blood. There's no gore. They're just cleanly cut and they just whoop and they come up off of his hand and fly towards people and in this case in the bedroom of ryan's friend like a finger floats over to ryan's friend and then lands in his ear uh stump down not not fingertip down but stump down and turns transparent and starts extracting ink out of his head (laughs) yep Worst so, wet dark, willy dark ever. Colored ink. <laughs> Do you guys know what a wet willy is? It's a dad thing. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, this, <laughs> is, this is the stump equivalent of a wet willy. <laughs> <laughs> creepy, creepy. Uh, so, and then he regrows the fingers. That's the other thing we have to mention. But uh, yeah. So, the all the companions at the same time call the doctor where, in, in Aleppo to report their weird experiences. And, and so she the, uses the sonic to conference them into the same call instead of just pressing the conference call button. Yeah, it must be one of those. Uh, well, the, the doctor still using the old plans. school. Doctor still using the old school flip phones. So right, yeah, it's, yeah. she doesn't have she doesn't have a smartphone yet. Yeah, it's one of those weird galactic calling plans. Uh, so the the then <laughs> the doctor then uh, brings Tahira the the, uh, the the Syrian woman with her onto the TARDIS to go check uh, things out. Also, there's a great line in that phone conversation where the doctor, after hearing what's going on with Yaz and Ryan and Graham, the doctor says, somebody is targeting us. Right. And that mm-hmm. is scary because yeah. normally the TARDIS crew is the one doing the targeting. You know, they fly in someplace and they go after the baddies. But if the baddies are going after them across space and time, mm-hmm. that is scary. Yep. Yes. That is not normal on this show. Right. Um, it brings to mind the master, but uh, he's not in this episode. Uh, nope. mostly. <laughs> so the doctor, on her way into the TARDIS, finds some hairs from this creature that she collects and brings in there. And the TARDIS is saying, "Well, not only does it is it's not that it can't uh, identify the creature; it's saying there's no evidence there. I don't know what you're talking about. There's nothing there in this uh, collection sample container. So I don't know what you're doing." And the doctor is. He's perplexed Arguing. by this. Yes. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, uh, and so they want to go find the woman that Graham had the vision of. They want right. to go find Storm. And mm-hmm. and the doctor is like, well, do you have any idea of where she is based on what you saw in your vision? And Graham is like, oh, yeah, give me a map of the universe and I'll put my finger right. Of course I don't. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I <laughs> that was I, I recorded that line because that was a great line. <laughs> Another a great Graham moment. But uh, yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, and so what we have to have is the telepathic circuits make their reappearance yep. here. 
Yeah, fun. they have been used in uh, Listen and uh, for navigation purposes. Yep. They've yep. been used in Listen, The Name of the Doctor, Dark Water, and a few other things. Yep. yep. Uh, so we have the TARDIS now. We're finally, the fifth episode, we're going into deep space with the TARDIS. Yay, we're Yay. off Earth for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to go places. It's a TARDIS. I know. It's we, dimensions of time and space. <laughs> I, I think they may have made a deliberate choice to have this season be Earth centric. I, I think so. I think so. So they're on the, in the she says in the distant future on us that they determined something to be a space station is sort of monitoring station. And we have these two planets that are colliding, but being when held worlds apart. Collide. Yes. <laughs> worlds, worlds in collision. Yes. And they're but they're being held apart by something between them. Uh, and yeah, they, it's a little Christmas ornament. And uh, they zoom and enhance over and over again. Until they, Graham sees this thing that he saw in his vision, and oh, I, I want to compliment their user interface because yeah, it's creative. Yeah. It's not particularly practical, but it's creative. Yes. The the user interface for this visual system consists of harp strings, and mm-hmm. you you brush the harp strings with your fingers to zoom in or out. That that was that was yep. original. That was original. Yeah. Uh, they determine that it's the inside this this thing between these two planets. Is the the woman that Graham has been seeing in his vision? She's apparently a, some kind of prisoner in there, and so mm-hmm. if there's a prisoner, then the the doctor gotta let him out. Let him that's out. what you do on this yep. show. Yep, that's what we do. And so don't even don't even question if there's a good reason for them being in there. And meanwhile, Yaz is looking around, finds that uh, creepy guy fingers are <laughs> feeding a psychic signal to the girl in the bubble, uh, which they 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 assume is some kind of torture that it's feeding mm-hmm. her the nightmares. And that could have been clearer. That was not real clear to me. Yeah, in fact, only in retrospect did, does that become clear. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Tahira, the, the Syrian girl, uh, wanders off and finds everybody who's been kidnapped and and the creature from her nightmare and creepy dude who sends his fingers at the companions who all end up in nightmares of their own. So they're, they're uh, Riaz. Oh, everybody yep. but the doctor. Everybody but the doctor, just the companions at this point. Who and also so he, has failed to notice that her companions have gone missing again. <laughs> again. <laughs> doctor, you, get, you have a duty of care, Doctor. So uh, Yaz has her nightmare about seeing her sister on a road, and then a, a, she's alone. And there's a policewoman there, too, who yes. was also there in the first nightmare, which That's wasn't right. actually really nightmarish, just kind of dramatic standing on a road. Mm-hmm. I have but a, in this one, her sister verbally abuses her. Yeah, I have a theory about... Yaz's nightmare, which uh, I'll well, I'll get to as when, when that comes uh, the the at the climax of the episode. Uh, mm-hmm. Ryan uh, sees his friend Tebow as an old man, and uh, he verbally abuses Ryan. Yes, and <laughs> Earth is burning, and then he sees the creatures from Orphan Fifty Five because you know mm-hmm. that's going to come back. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we have Graham in a hospital where he sees Grace, who, and she verbally abuses him. She, right, and yeah. tells him that his cancer has returned, and why didn't you save me? Uh, so that, that's nightmarish. I like his reaction. Um, it's very human. And if if I was in a dream and and I've dreamed about my wife many, 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 many times since she passed. Um, in fact, that was one of the first things that started happening after she died is I would dream about her and I would mm-hmm. dream about she's back. And then I would start questioning. It's like, wait, but you died. And she didn't want to talk about it. Um, yeah, but I was having these dreams of she's back now and because um, that was what I most wanted. And if she had said to me, why didn't you save me? I would have said exactly what Graham did. Let me try again. Right. Mm. Right. That felt very real. Very real. Yeah. Yep. Um, so then we have the the, the creepy guy. I ca- I'm just going to call him creepy guy for now. Who That's fine. sees the doctor. His and, name doesn't really mean anything anyway. Right. What's in it? fact, Storm's name doesn't even make it on screen, if I'm not mistaken. No. no. I'm just hearing given it. a name in the credits. Right. So he's Zelen, let's help to say it, because he tells her now. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, I've watched you stumbling around the universe. Um, he tells her his name is Zelen. Um, the doctor says, no, you can't, you can't be him. That's a mythical name. Some people think you're think that's a god. And this is where he says he's he's an eternal. Um, well, you know, he says he's an immortal. But 
the word eternal I, gets used. Yeah, yeah no, it does. Oh. He says we immortals must play games mm-hmm. to keep ourselves. And then he names as an example of immortals, the Eternals and oh. the Guardians and the Toymaker. Okay. Right? This is so he doesn't lock himself into being any one of those three. I got you. Okay, I I got that uh, um, uh, wrong then. Um, and then he mentions the Toymaker and the and the Guardians, and he's uh, he said he admits he's taking nightmares from humans and transmitting I, 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 them. I, I like when the doctor says that's from way beyond this universe. It's a myth. Zelen was yeah. thought to be a god, and he says, "I blush." It <laughs> <laughs> yeah. was pretty good. Yes. Um, he does admit to transmitting the uh, the nightmares uh, from humans into the girl in the in the in the bubble, um, and he he ha- there's some interesting lines here. He, he talks about humans and uh, what sets humans apart is the cruelty of their own minds directed at themselves. Mm-hmm. How he talks about you know human self doubt and self you know uh, fra- mm-hmm. um, what is it uh, the, the the where we think we're frauds imposter syndrome that sort of stuff yep and uh and then he's humans are pathetic and you know that sort of thing yeah um, and this is this is a classic test in psychology where um because everybody has insecurities and we all put on a brave face for the world and uh so they'll psychiatrists have this test where it's allegedly based on you but really, it's based on everybody. Right. And 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 they they get they give it to you to see how much you identify with it. And it'll say things like, even though you put on a brave face, you sometimes secretly feel doubts. It's like, oh, that is so me. Yes, this test must be about me. <laughs> no, this test <laughs> is about everybody. everybody. <laughs> yes, it's the dangers of uh, it's uh, freshman psychology courses yeah. <laughs> where we self-diagnose. Yep. So he tells the doctor, like, no, you've got everything all wrong. She's not a prisoner. I've manipulated you into coming here and freeing this girl, the the well, woman. She, I keep calling her girl, but because she looked young to me when I first saw her. But it turns out she's an adult. Uh, she's younger than creepy guy. She is younger than him. Yeah. But uh, I manipulated into freeing her. Uh, that's what I wanted because she is the more dangerous one of us. I just ride her coattails. Right. Uh, yeah. Should, so should, should mention, by the way, before this conversation started, the doctor activated an app on her uh, sonic screwdriver oh, to right. hook up to the TARDIS's super mega ultra computer to do some quantum computing. Right. And start the calculations to free. Um, of course, you know, the TARDIS computer, which one day is the super mega ultra computer. Other days is a the equivalent of a Commodore 64. I mean, it depends right. on what they need for the plot. But still. Right, yeah. Right. The uh, and and all, that leads to a because she breaks the quantum lock and that leads to a great moment of mutual one upsmanship uh-huh. where the doctor is like, I've used your technology against you to free this defenseless woman. And he's like, no, this isn't my technology. I've used your inclinations to get you here to free her. Right. Right. Uh, and th- th- I mean, this really we're building up this, these, this uh, enemy, these villains to be super powerful here. That's important from in a minute. Mm-hmm. But when, when Rakaya, that's the name of this, uh, this woman Shows and up and that does doesn't even make it on screen, does it? No, no I'm just reading yeah, it. I don't hear it. She, is, she who is not to be named is what they should have called her. Yes, That's from an H. Ryder Haggard novel. Yes, uh, and a we, couple of movies, one of which stars Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. So, dueling Draculas in She. That's right. There you go. Oh, and Bernard Cribbins is in that. <laughs> Wilfred Mott. <Ma. laughs> We are fully on the tangent, but we're back. Uh, so we, what we do, actually, what we get here then is this very interesting animated sequence where we get the exposition yeah. about who these people are and how Rakaya ended up in the quantum prison. Yeah, uh, I saw this. I mean, this is the 1980s Laurie Anderson music video, Mr. <laughs> uh, Sharky's Day. I remember this. <laughs> yeah. It's it's somewhat primitive animation that kind of Moana is is kind of that mythological storytelling because it kind of pulled a lot of the like the ancient Greek style art yeah. and stuff like that. I, I thought it was kind of a, a interesting way to tell the story. Of course, they did it as it was a nightmare for the Doctor, where yeah, where right. she zapped the Doctor and. She saw yeah. this whole thing. And, so. yes. and Sharky says, I turn around and it's love. I turn around again and it's fear. Nobody <laughs> knows me. Nobody knows my name because it doesn't make it on screen. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it turns out that the two of them had come from wherever they came from and found these take possession of these two planets and use them to amuse themselves, causing war and suffering 
And when the people on the planets figure out what, what yeah. was going on. Let, let, let's play who can destroy a planet first. Right. Yep. Uh, if they, they, they were so it's like some out of the book of Job, <laughs> but except no good. There was no God there. There was just two no devils. Good God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just two devils. Uh, so they trapped the people of the planets got together and they trapped one of the two Eternals in this prison, the, the Rakaya, and the other one ran away in, until he could find the doctor and get her free. Yeah. And so the nightmares that were being fed to her were not a, uh, a punishment. They were what she needed. She lives yeah. off of the pain they of were others. her Netflix. Yeah, yep. right. She they, was binging on other people's nightmares. So let's talk about, since this is, uh, you know, a Catholic podcast network, let's talk yep. about the theological implications of all of this. Of course. Because we have these mm -hmm. two allegedly godlike beings. How does that square with stuff? Yeah. Well, the the short answer is big deal. The, yep. Historically, the term God used, and you even see this in Hebrew where, you know, you have Elohim. It can refer to all kinds of different supernatural um, creatures, uh, beings, uh, I should say. Uh, you have the, the one true creator God at the top who's infinite. But then you have, even in Hebrew, Elohim gets applied to finite lesser deities that mm -hmm. are either worshipped by the nations you know, like the gods of the Canaanites or the mm -hmm. Egyptians, and it gets applied to um, angels um, mm -hmm. as well, and maybe even and even to uh, human spirits. Um, when Samuel is summoned up by the witch of Endor after he's dead, uh, she says, "I see an Elohim coming up from the earth." So mm -hmm. it can even be the term Elohim is so broad it can even be applied to the spirits of deceased humans. Right. Um, in Greek. And Latin, well, so in Greek, uh, you have an, a, a somewhat different structure. You have um, theos is the term for God, and it gets applied both to like the great creator high God and mm -hmm. to the lesser gods, like the gods of Olympus, like Zeus and Apollo and things like that. And then there is also another kind of uh creature that was sometimes classified as a god um but humans could manipulate so you could mm. instead of like you need to beseech apollo to to do something but you could kind of manipulate this other lower class uh spirit into doing what you want and the word for that spirit was daimon and mm. this is where we get the english word demon mm. now in greco-roman mythology demons were not um always evil Sometimes they were, sometimes they weren't, but they were lesser order beings that you could kind of whistle up and manipulate them into yeah. doing what you wanted. And but they were sort of on the same spectrum as as the Theoi. So you have the high god at the top, then the intermediate gods and then the little bitty servant spirits. Yeah. And um, so from a proceeding from a Christian perspective, Zelen and she who is not to be named a a.k.a. Storm Aurora, who was worshipped as a god early on by pre-woke tribes in Africa in the comics, um, th th they would just be this intermediate category like right. Apollo and Zeus. And so even though they get called gods and it's like, OK, big deal, finite being right. not an infinite, eternal, all good creator. Right. I'm not that interested. Yeah. Well, and it's not in, it, not in worshiping them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in, in English, you would you would see that when you look at English translation, you'll have the uppercase G God for right. the father and then lowercase G gods yeah. as, you know, as right. the, the Greek gods and the Roman gods and so on. Yeah. So in, and so this kind of God just means more powerful than a human, but not 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 in any way comparable to the infinite God. This could be either, if we want to, you know, extend it in, in the Hooniverse, they could either be creatures created by God at the beginning of time who are Im essentially immortal in this in this place. Mm -hmm. But have uh, gone rogue like the devil did. Yep. yep. Or they could be angelic beings, spiritual beings that... that demons, have, as we would call that them. That are demons, yeah. yes. But, but notice demons. how finite they are. They Zelen needs the doctor to crack that quantum lock. He right. cannot mm -hmm. do it himself. Right. So probably the the former then just created beings who are so powerful as to l seem like gods to to lesser creatures. Right. Yeah. 
Uh, which, but, which good. you know, historically, people, any, I mean, humans were sometimes regarded as gods. Alexander the Great was mm-hmm. the king mm-hmm. of. Egypt always was, even uh, when Paul and Barnabas uh, performed some miracles in one city, people thought it's Mercury and Zeus. Let's bring out oxen and sacrifice to them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So uh, so the uh, Zelen and Rakaia, having freed themselves, now need to go find some new uh, planet to be their plaything. And they decide that Earth is the is the place to go because they 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 really dig our nightmares. So they head off to Earth where yeah. they're going but first, to first they put the doctor in in a nightmare booth. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, they, they stick a finger in her ear and she dreams of the timeless child. So we have a yes. return to this vision from before when we hear the master's voice uh, mm-hmm. re- repeating the things we heard in the, the spy fall part two. And we, we see a little more. Of, yep. the, of this scene. And the doctor is standing there in front of the building with the timeless child. Um, but we don't really get any new information. It's just a little, we dwell on the moment a little longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is some speculation. Why does the doctor dream of the timeless child here? What is, why is this her nightmare instead of the burning of Gallifrey, for instance, or any of the other things? Well, uh, I would assume it's because her, the, I mean, it, this thing is down in their memories and is suppressed mm-hmm. for some reason. Right. And it and I, so I would assume for that reason alone, but also she's it's also connected to the Ruth thing. And that's new and unsettling for her. And it led to the destruction of Gallifrey. And it's the most ominous thing that's been presented to her because the master presented this to her as this is so important. It warranted me in offing Gallifrey. Right. Yeah. This somehow wakes her. She wakes up. Uh, manages for we don't we don't have any reason why the the nightmare uh, fingers because well, she's a time lord big brain i mean yeah. she's able to fight against the effects of the ear or the, uh, the I, ear finger i guess i don't know i just took it as this is what happens at the end of nightmares i as soon as a nightmare gets too scary for me i instantly wake up it's my yep. defense mechanism yeah except nobody else is waking up so it's she's yeah she has to be different uh okay. somehow she manages to get the sonic from her inside pocket <sighs> into her hand. <laughs> this is this is really so her hands are bound above her head. She's got the sonic in her pocket and around her waist. <laughs> yeah. And she's doing a coochie dance or something to somehow flip the sonic up to where she can catch it. And this is spectacularly unsuccessful on I mean it works in story, but as a cinematic experience, no. it yeah. alt- utterly fails. It would have been far better if she had just used the force to levitate the thing up there. <laughs> right. See, at first when she started moving, I thought she was going to like try to bump the the button against the side wall. And then all oh. of a sudden it did the 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 Luke Skywalker the- leap up to her <laughs> hand. It's like Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> and then she activated I mean, it, and chopped off the Wampa's arm and got out of yeah. the ca- ice yeah. cave. <laughs> well, it does. You don't need. I mean, she's telepathic and it has a point and think interface. So they could have just given her a line of exposition. It's like, OK, think, how can I get this up here? Yeah. I'm telepathic. It has a point and think interface. OK. Whoop, task yep. accomplished. You right. Know? Right. Yeah. That. Yeah. So that was. Mm. But. We we needed to, her to escape quickly, and so they did. Um, and she gets everyone else out, and they 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 confront the question: How do you defeat two rampaging immortals? Well, you don't. You just have to stick them back in the box. Is the yep. is the answer? Um, back on Earth, everyone's nightmares are coming alive. Uh, especially the creepy the mother putting the daughter to bed. There's no such thing as the boogeyman. Then he shows up and goes, "Yes, there is." Yes, oh, actually, wow. that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> and then Storm is standing in the middle of the street, and she's using her weather powers to draw all these tendrils of smoke into her <laughs> yeah. from all the houses on the street. And apparently, that's the nightmare. See, that, and the reason you keep calling her Storm is just for, for. I mean, I think everyone I'm sure, sure has seen the episode, but it's because they've. They've made her look like Storm with the white yeah. hair, and she's yep. of of dark, of dark complexed, you know, of African ancestry. She, I mean, it's it. She, she's, her she's, clothes she, are kind of her, similar in design yeah. to Storm. Yeah, they. I mean, she's she's a black woman with white hair, and she's got this weird African-looking collar thing yep. on her, and her she's got these whitish clothes, this whitish costume that looks kind of like something Storm would wear. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's very obvious. It's really weird. 
So the doctor lures the Eternals back to Aleppo in 1380 with using the creature from Tahira's Nightmare. I'm not sure how this worked. Uh, I'm not sure what what happened mm. here. It, the, again, lack of exposition and explanation. Yeah. Hey, just, I, he said, go he, ahead, Father. The, the Vellum said he could hear him through the space waves or something like, yeah. you know. And so, so I don't know if the doctor like amplified the creature's call through the TARDIS or. Yeah, the uh, so so what they what the doctor realized was that the ceiling hugging mon- monkey bears um, <laughs> are projections that Zelen had created out of the thief of Aleppo's nightmares. Mm-hmm. And so that's why they don't really exist. That's why they're not in any database, even though they give them a name, which they don't need to if they're one off projections. Right. Um, I don't need a name for a one-off projection, but uh, uh, she then realized that's why they couldn't kill Tahira, um, because then they would be cutting off the, their source of existence if they're manifestations of her nightmares. So she can actually control them because yeah. they're her nightmares. And so the doctor has taught her in the intervening off-screen sequences to face her fears and control them. So now she's in control of the monkey bears and can use them to call out to Zelen, possibly over the time waves using the TARDIS, and thus lure Zelen and Storm back to Aleppo so we can spring our fiendish plan on them. Which all happens... Off screen, as you said. Yes. So they quite easily then get them back in the quantum box, like just boom. And we have what's your worst nightmare? (laughs) Right. And they they bring a piece of technology with them. That's apparently the control for the Christmas ornament that Storm was trapped in. Right. And so they use the the Christmas ornament controller to which is telepathic, I guess, and threaten them with the monkey bear and say, what's your worst nightmare? And they and the monkey bear both get trapped in the Christmas ornament. And that's it. Boom. We're done. Mm-hmm. Boom. So, yep. Nine minutes left to go in the show. And, I'm, yep. and so this is, as I said to, to what my wife, Melanie, literally deus ex machina, like literally got yep. in the box. And mm-hmm. why? Like, it just was too easy. Well, we we create from this, the machine. We have. Yeah, we, we have. Oh, uh, yeah. God, the machine. Sorry. But we have this ultra powerful enemy we've created that like they cannot be defeated. They're immortals. And we boom, we have to figure out a way to defeat them. Very quickly, because we want to save the last nine minutes for all this other for, stuff for our mental health care PSA. Now, now before before we get to that, I, I do say I don't have as much a problem with this if the idea is to bring them back later. Mm-hmm. If this is a one off, we never see him again. Mm-hmm. Then I agree with that. Yeah. But if this I, is something that they are planning to bring back in the future, I don't have so much a problem. I mean, it makes sense. Obviously, the device that's going to trap them is going to be something that's going to trap them fairly easily. Right. You don't want to make it a you know a big difficult thing to catch these immortals and trap them. Yeah, and since Zelen is in there himself now, they can't get out again for all eternity. Yep. Is the thesis, right? Although they don't make that explicit. Um, I have in my notes, and I took this note at the time that Storm was feeding off the smoke tendrils from the houses. That you know, this was getting so dramatic and so ramped up, and they're gonna use Earth for all eternity to feed their nightmare needs and stuff like that. It's like this I have in my notes threat level too high for a 50 minute episode. Yeah. And what I meant by that is this needs to be a two parter. We need to see the reign of terror of these two evil creatures um, and and taking them down needs to be hard. Right. Given right. what they've staked, they've ramped exactly. everything up to the point this we need to we need to dwell on this. You don't create super omnipotent threats and then snap your fingers and have it go away. But that's exactly what they do. They abort the reign of terror and they just snap their fingers and they're back in the Christmas ornament and it feels dramatically malformed. (laughs) Right. Sorry. Yeah. It felt anticlimactic to me. I'm like, oh, we're ramping up. And then that's it. Like, I'm like, that was as to quote the Simpsons. Well, that wrapped up nicely, uh, pretty quickly, more faster than usual. (laughs) And and in fact, it felt like that because now we have we have a nine minute PSA about mental health. Literally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, apparently the the BBC, in fact, ended during the credits, had an action line about, you know, a, a, a statement about if you have any mental health issues, call this number, like which is fine. 
I, I don't well, have it's... a problem with there being a, 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 a this message embedded in the in the story. I'm fine with that. We've talked about this recently mm-hmm. in recent episodes. It's when it's so ham fisted that feels yeah. awkward. Well, and, and Bennett Bennett Gillespie sent us a message yesterday, last night on on our, our Facebook channel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Basically saying that this past week was Children's Mental Health Week in Great Britain, and so that's where this connection is coming in. Is they this is kind of the the end of that. So you can right. imagine there are probably many other shows in you know on BBC and both ITV as well, perhaps that kind of tied into this as well. Yeah, well, on this very special episode of Doctor Who, <laughs> yes, exactly. we have some bad writing at the end because suddenly it comes out of nowhere in the last nine minutes. That uh, Ryan's friend, Tim Tebow, who has been (laughs) very justified in all of his paranoia, given that an extra universal evil demigod has been haunting his dreams and appearing to him in real life. He has every reason to uh, to to uh, to be concerned. Mm -hmm. Um, Suddenly, it turns out he's also a mental health patient. Right. And Ryan well, they, they, recommends that he goes to a support group. And it's they like they did hint at it very one line very briefly where Ryan walks into his kitchen and the kitchen's a disaster. He says, What's wrong? You're this place is normally a normally immaculate. You know, it's normally, you know, spotless. Well, and I'm not the sleeping got and plates seeing, and food and yeah. everything. Yeah. I'm not yeah, sleeping and the, seeing waking nightmares, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> that doesn't establish mental illness. That just establishes that he's He's Having under stress, and yeah. he is. Um, so this this was not properly set up in the episode that this guy right. has mental health issues. If you want to make your mental health statement, you need to make it obvious, like in Vincent and the Doctor, mm-hmm. from the outset, right. that somebody has mental issues if you want to pay it off. Gosh, that was a much, um, much better episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, then we, we get more info on the Yaz situation. And and this is another thing. Even her sister, I've seen her sister so little that I had a hard time when she's having her nightmare about being on the road and seeing her Mm -hmm. sister. Is that her sister? Because they didn't even put her in the same clothes. Right. No. And um, and it's like I need for characters I barely know. I need something to distinguish them that I can say, okay, this is the person with the red hair and this is the person with the green jacket and stuff like if I don't know somebody, I need a visual cue like that. Or use their name in dialogue. (laughs) Or use their name in dialogue. Sonia, what are you doing here? Oh, that's Sonia. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Or, hey, sis, you know, something to establish a relationship. And that was a recurring thing in this episode. We didn't get enough character identification Mm -hmm. traits. But then we get... More context on on Yaz. We get three years earlier on the screen, and Yaz is walking down the same road we saw earlier. Her sister is not there, but the policewoman we saw earlier shows up and says, hey, they're really worried about you. Right. And apparently Yaz has run away. Her mm-hmm. sister is afraid that she's been bullied at school, which is was mentioned in the Witch Finders, apparently. Um, her grades have been sliding. She's run away and her sister is afraid she may do something stupid, i.e. kill right. herself. And the the and they do they do play kind of the like the phone call of I don't know who else to call. You know, right. the sister calling the police. Say, I, don't, I don't know who oh. else to call. Right. right. Well, fortunately, there's a number coming up in the post credits yeah, exactly. at the end of this episode. <laughs> Um, but the, the, the police lady gives her a talking to in a very nice, sympathetic way and even makes a bet with her that, look, I'll give you, this is just a moment. I bet this is just a moment. You'll be fine. Don't run away. Do anything stupid. Carry on with your life. Keep calm and carry on. And if, if three years from now I'm right, I'll give you 50 pounds. But if, if you're right, you give me 50 pence. Right. So that's a good bet. Reverse reverse that. It was if, if. Yaz is right. The policewoman will give her 50 pounds. If the policewoman's right, Yaz will give her. That's what I said. said You said Uh, the other way around. Okay. (laughs) In any event, um, it's a bet to Yaz's favor. And we then see three years later, she shows up and gives the police lady 50 pence. And the police lady invites her in. And it is very, it's, it's heartwarming. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, the, that aspect of the writing was fine. I thought it was misplaced. Yeah. Because it's suddenly pulling this out, and this doesn't justify an anniversary dinner. No. 
you know, the day you remember the day you ran away, let's all, you know, and you made that bet with that cop. Let's have an anniversary dinner every year about that. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, I, I suppose it could be this, you know, the day you were reborn when you re- got a new lease on life. Maybe, but, yeah, but then when, when you're 16, an awkward anniversary, out. it would be something to sell. It would be something to celebrate. Right, right. It's kind of awkward. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought this was episode was too on the nose again. They needed yeah. to set this stuff up earlier. Um, it was nowhere near as bad as, as on the nose as Orphan 55. Right. We didn't get a fourth wall breaking nope. speech by the characters. Um, we, we, almost get, <laughs> uh, we then get Graham uh talking to the doctor in the TARDIS um about his fears about cancer. Mm-hmm. And I was, that was totally realistic. Yes. You know, that was that was bang on. That yep. was good writing. He's saying I don't know who else to talk to, so I thought I'd tell you. And that's true. We all have things we need to say to just somebody just to get it off our chest. Mm-hmm. And the doctor looks at him and says, I should say something reassuring now, shouldn't I? <laughs> right. I, I'm socially I'm gonna, awkward and can't think of anything to say. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go over here and look at the TARD, look at the TARDIS control for a minute. And then in a minute, I'll think of something I should have said that might have been comforting. And he's like, OK, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> apparently a lot of fans did not like this. They thought that this made the doctor seem cold, cruel, you know, oh, or made socially awkward people it. look bad. I, 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 I was think fine. it was part of the character because they they've. They've played that she's still very socially awkward. I mean, yeah. for things like this. What right. what was the problem for me a little bit, but since I also think like a writer, I I can I can can kind of live with it, is she's got advanced technology. She can probably make sure his cancer never returns. I thought exactly, exactly the same thing. Yeah. Or is, at yeah. minimum have like, you know, every time he's in the TARDIS, it's scanning for it. Right. Or just scan him and say, look, not not a trace of it. See, I can scan yeah, you instantaneously. Not, it's not yep. going to come back. I've just sonic you and there's no right. trace of mutations in your DNA and it'll have to re-evolve all over again. That won't happen for another 70 years for you. Right. Yep. So now and then we have after that, we have Yaz and Ryan talking to each other about Ryan's like, how long are we going to be with the doctor? How long are we going to go on? And Ryan is really expressing this fear, which he saw in his nightmare, about how his friends are going to go on without him. He's he's changing mm-hmm. and his friend, they're aging at different rates and he's changing and growing apart from them. And I'm thinking to myself as I'm watching this, are they preparing Ryan to leave the show? The actor Tosin Cole has recently gotten a big role on an American television series, mm-hmm. yep. and there is a good chance there is that is exactly what they are doing. Right, and if so, I want to give him credit for ha- coming up with a plausible on-screen setup right. for it in advance, as opposed to Melanie Bush suddenly falls in love with a psychopathic pirate and decides <laughs> to leave. Exactly, <laughs> right. you know. And as, as far as I know, at least at this point, it's only been publicly announced that uh, the Doctor is coming back. Right. Jodie Whittaker is coming back. We don't know about the companions yet. Yeah. yeah. And and, uh, and I hope they keep uh, Graham and Yaz because uh, yep. Graham, you know, is my clear favorite. Yes. And Yaz mm-hmm. is my second favorite. Ryan has always been my least favorite because he mopes all the time. Right. Yeah. If he didn't mope all the time, he would he would be more fun. As yeah, a the, the few moments that he has where he's really like showing off he's kind of he is kind of fun. i like that where they're playing the fifa and he's he's cheering about how he's the greatest and he hasn't lost it and <laughs> right yeah right. and ryan gets a lot of the you know masculine action moments i mean just the the physical action yep that we can't get carried off by by the doctor or yeah chesterton or moments yes yes um so what so is, we have kind of a downer ending except yep. the doctor comes in um and says i was just thinking frankenstein right and that's going to lead to and, next week and, yeah and we're off and it's like yay i know exactly where we're going right. because yep. so frankenstein is not a real monster in the universe so that means they're going to go to mary shelley right. now they're causing a bit of a paradox with the extended literature because in the extended literature the eighth doctor actually has mary shelley as a companion for a while. So this is going to be an alternate timeline or a time can be rewritten thing. Um, but uh, we're heading to 1816, the year without a summer, because in 1815, Mount Tambor 
uh, blew oh, sure. up and caused a temporary global winter. So 1816 was known as the year without a summer or 1800 and froze to death. <laughs> and um, and in that year, Mary Shelley, um, along with her not quite yet husband, and, uh, visited Lord Byron in a in a in a villa uh, at Lake Geneva in Switzerland and um, to pass along with his uh, Lord Byron's uh, physician, Polidori, um, and to pass the time during the dreadful weather caused by Mount Tambora, they decided to tell stories, which led to Polidori writing the first modern vampire story, The Vampire, and it led to Mary Shelley writing Frankenstein, the postmodern Prometheus. And, and so... And by the way, Lord Byron uh-huh. should sound familiar because earlier this season we met his daughter, Ada. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Ada Lovelace. Right. So, uh, so uh, yay. I'm all for going yeah, this could to... This uh, be a good one. ...to 1816, and uh, the name of the villa that they rented was the uh, Villa Diodati, which means the villa that was given by God. Mm. And the, so the title of the next episode is The Haunting of the Villa Diodati. Nice. So before we wrap up, I do want to kind of go back and and tie up the loose ends on just a few things on this episode, which is um, I I want to mention with Yaz and her nightmare, which wasn't really much of a nightmare. Mm -hmm. In fact, you know, while everyone else is processing uh, Ryan and his fears of of losing his friends and Graham and his fear of cancer, Yaz seems at peace. And I guess that's because she's already faced her fears. That's what they're trying mm-hmm. to say in this, you know, in, in this nightmare she has. At least that's that particular she, revisiting that particular right. event of her running away. Right. So I guess it was, again, one of these things where they didn't, there wasn't clear on that. But in general, like I wanted to kind of talk about in general, how, how we felt about this episode in general. As I said before, I liked this. I liked it a little better than even the last time when we had the, um, uh, what was the last one? Um, the, la- the last the, last the week's pla- episode, plastic eating Praxeus. Sorry, thank Prax- you, Praxeus. Uh-huh. Yeah, I had a uh, senior moment there. Uh, so Praxeus, <laughs> I, I liked it better than Praxeus. Uh, you know, the, where we we had some more. Uh, what we expect from Doctor Who, the running around stuff. What I didn't like is how this felt bolted on this this after part got bolted on, and and truncated the the primary story about defeating these villains and that and that I, felt clunky to me and, and I, I hate I, to say it that's probably exactly what happened was they took this story realized it was going to be at this or you know set it on this point said well we got to add something to do tie in with this mental health week so there it is right i don't know that i liked it better than praxeus um it i think especially in hindsight it is not going to age well uh, because of its it's it aborts the primary dramatic uh, mm-hmm. momentum of the episode in exchange for a nine minute PSA about mental yeah. health that has not even been properly set up. Right. Um, Vincent and the doctor where Vincent is fighting a monster that is a surrogate for mental illness is a vastly better mental health episode than this was and and so i didn't i wasn't offended by this episode i didn't mind this episode i mean and by offended i don't mean morally i i mean in terms of dramatic sensibilities i wasn't offended by it but it was wonky um it had a lot of promise i liked the fact they did twists like the mutual one-upsmanship with the doctor and zelen yeah um i liked the risk-taking in the stories like that in the story that they were doing that's fine including the Laurie Anderson animation from the 1980s um but uh but overall it was it was i mean it was fine but it was flawed it was not as on the nose as uh as Orphan 55 but it was uh pretty on the nose in a way that didn't get properly set up but if you ignore that the rest of it was pretty entertaining Father Corey, any any final thoughts on this one? Well, like I said in the beginning, I mean, I setting aside the 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 part talking about the PSA and all that. I mean, it it really was shaping up as a good classic Doctor Who monster of the week. We got to vanquish the monster. Um, yeah. So, okay. I, I should probably also explain PSA means public service announcement yep. in this right. context. Yeah. yeah. So, I also, call it after school special. <laughs> I also yeah. want to point out, you know, talking about, uh, you know, of course, talk about other other things. 
Did you happen to notice that the prison power spear looked exactly like the Aton meteor from Spearhead from Space? Oh, yeah. It was like only like glowing blue. Yeah. Right, 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 right. That's just true. That's true. Interesting. I uh, wonder if that was intentional. Uh, we'll see. Uh, all right. So if there's nothing else, I do want to take a moment before we wrap things up. I want to very important to Ooh. thank. Actually, before that, um, just for folks who may be wondering, because not everyone is plugged as plugged into the literature as we may be, okay. uh, they've announced the titles for oh, the yes. final two episodes, and they are clearly going to be dealing with plot lines that they set up earlier this season. Yep. The uh, so after the haunting of the Villa Deodati, uh, we're going to have a two part. Uh, finale. The first part is called Ascension of the Cybermen. Mm-hmm. So they will clearly be following up on the lone Cyberman thread. And then the the second part of the finale is called the the, the timeless children. Children, and plural. So they're, plural. Mm-hmm. So they're gonna they're gonna be mm-hmm. exploring that. Uh, first pass is the Doctor and the Master are the two timeless children, but maybe it may be broader than that. Mm-hmm. Also. As I had suggested there may be some connection between the destruction of the cyber empire and the destruction of Gallifrey and attempts mm-hmm. to undo those. And it looks like they may be moving in that direction. If the what they've said is a two part finale involves both the Cybermen and the timeless children who are from Gallifrey. Very good. So uh, that's to look forward to three more to go, folks. So uh, we do want to take a moment to to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including this time uh, we're thanking Julia S., Sean M., Elliot B., Sean, and Greg O. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them in supporting us by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What did you think of this episode called Can You Hear Me? Uh, let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash Doctor Who or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or you can send an email to Doctor Who at sqpn.com. And of course, we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the aforementioned The Haunting of the Villa Diodati. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, humans live with their fears. They face them down every day, and they prevail. Right. This is going to be fun.